0: Well, good morning. I just wanted to give a quick intro to our speaker this morning. Um, many of you probably know him, uh, most famously around here, as the son-in-law to Palmer and Barb. Um, but Larry Taunton is uh, also, he does many things. Um, so he's uh, he's an author. He's written uh, uh, three books, I think, now. He uh, writes regularly as a columnist um, for several different um, newspapers, websites, um, he is the executive director, I think, of Fixed Point Foundation, and I'm probably missing a lot of other things. Um, and maybe he'll share a little bit more, too, about what he does. But he, he writes extensively. He's debated um, several of the most uh, well-known atheists of our um, current time, um, fighting on behalf of the truth in God's Word. So I just appreciate that Larry's able to speak with us this morning so you can come on up. Um, and uh, just thankful for the opportunity that we have to hear from him Um, defending the truth of God's Word. So, thank you, Larry. Thank
1: you, Anthony. Good morning. Uh, It is a real joy for me to be here with you. Yes, my name is Larry Taunton. I am the executive director of the Fixed Point Foundation, and um, I am an author and uh, freelance columnist. And this evening, um, I will be speaking At James Valley Christian School at 7 p.m., and I'll be giving, uh, uh, addressing a topic there understanding what is happening in America today. Um, And that's not what I'm going to be addressing uh, this morning, but this evening I'll be helping you to understand from a Christian perspective uh, the political, the social political landscape and all that we are witnessing in our country um, these days. You know, um, I think I should say a little bit about my tie to this community, and uh, it's been 13 years, actually, since I've been here. It's been quite some time, much longer than I had realized, uh, than I had been here. I am an Alabama boy, um, but I'm a child of the military, so I was born at Fort Benning and lived at Fort Gordon and Fort Lewis and Fort Campbell and Montgomery, Alabama twice, and uh, we finally settled out in North Alabama, a place um, called Coleman, Alabama, which uh, you can appreciate was, uh, was founded by a German, and uh, a lot of Germans, um, in fact. But I came here in 1982. Um, I think that was the first time that I was here, and I was in eighth grade. And I came here because my pastor, um, J.H. Preach, as people called him, Preach Robinson. If there are any old timers here, they may remember Preach Robinson. But Preach was already, you know, probably well into his 60s when I knew him. And as we say in the South, um, he took a shine to me when I was still a boy. And uh, I came up here to Byron Bible Camp, which in those days was along the James River, and Craig and Dorothy Harmon. Um, were the directors of the camp and, you know, the whole Harmon family in those days. Even Hazel was around in, uh, in those days. And uh, anyway, I came back again um, another winter later. And, and I should tell you, having having never been in the Dakotas, I can remember as an eighth grader that the conversation as we were driving up here was, do people use dog sleds up here? You know, are they is that their mode of transportation? You know, because we pictured the Dakotas, which by the way, isn't not, it's not far from the truth, as just frozen tundra. And uh, trying to figure out, you know, what what life was gonna be like up in this foreign land that's so different um, from the American South. But I ended up working at Byron Bible Camp for four summers. I lived with Craig and Dorothy Harmon uh, my senior year. And I went to James Valley Christian School, which is where I met my beautiful bride, Lori, who was, who was there on the back. And I was married um, in this church, not in this sanctuary, in, in what is now your fellowship hall, which, interestingly enough, I remembered as being so much bigger. Uh, it's a Sunday school class, you know, size, actually. So it's, you know, God is really blessed. Um, this church. And, uh, you know, Barb and Palmer Home have been members of this church since, I think, when it was founded in the Middle Ages. Uh, I think they've been here all that time, at least since South Dakota became a state in 1889. So, they have been a part of this church for a very long time, have been pillars of it. But as I look around um, this church, I see Penny Glanzer. Um, Penny, uh, Bob, was such an encouragement to me in those days. He was always good for a joke. And always uh, uh, ready to talk football with me. And I was just telling someone after Sunday school a little bit ago that Bob had given me a pair of hockey skates and I've never forgotten that because um, we would occasionally come into town and go ice skating and uh, I didn't have any ice skates and the ones that they gave you were like tennis shoes with skates on the bottom, which had no ankle support. And Bob said, try these. And I just immediately took off, you know, being in Alabama, there's not much ice skating going on down there. But I thought, you know, I can do it in the magic skates. And Bob said, you can have them. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. But, um, but I remember, remember Bob fondly and his service here in this church, in this community, in this state. I know so many others do too. And I uh, greeting greeting uh, Mr. Snyder here and Donnie Hofer, and I'm sure there are others that I uh, um, would know uh, but perhaps don't immediately recognize. But um, let me just simply say that I'm delighted uh, to be with you. Um, oh, and I also saw when I was out there, when I was standing out there, I saw that Pearl Hofer's name was on a Sunday school class door. Is Pearl in here? Pearl is teaching Sunday school at, my heavens, the woman must just be an energizer bunny. She just, she just keeps going, so she just continues um, to serve. Um, anyway, this morning what I want to talk to you a little bit about is Romans chapter one and something that happened last year. Now, let me begin by saying that this is a kind of a difficult topic. And uh, you know, football started, I mean real football, the SEC started yesterday, which is, which is where real football is played. And um, uh, some of you will recall Coach John McKay. The old timers may remember Coach John McKay. He was a believer. He was the coach of the USC Trojans and uh, won several national titles there. But then he became the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was the first coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers back in the late 70s. and The Buccaneers were terrible. I mean, some of those blooper reels that you see are of the Buccaneers in those days. And McKay was always good for a one-liner. He was just a very witty guy. And after a game in which the Buccaneers had lost yet again, um, McKay was asked during uh, the press conference, Coach McKay, um, how do you feel about the execution of your team today? He said, well, I'm in favor of it. So um, <laughs> let, us, let us hope I don't leave you with, uh, with such impressions. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 29. Typically, we would go through 32, but we're going 18 through 29. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. to be done. A generation ago, evangelical writer and pastor Joshua Harris, the son of then prominent Christian author Greg Harris, published a title, a book titled I Kissed Dating Goodbye. The book became a bestseller and gave him a sort of stardom among the ultra conservative segment of the Christian population. Indeed, he remains well-known among millennial evangelicals, if not their parents. The book's stated thesis was to encourage parent-initiated and guided courtship instead of traditional dating. The book was well-intentioned and sought to counter the sexual free-for-all that left so many with regrets once they reached the altar with their intended spouses. But one suspects that all of this had a very negative result for the author, who offered himself and his wife as role models for a healthy premarital and marital relationship. Indeed, for years, Harris sought to distance himself from his book. Precisely why is not clear. Perhaps it was because his marriage was falling apart. Last year, he announced he was getting a divorce or maybe it was the way the book unfairly branded him as a kind of moral majority of one regardless Harris decided to rebrand and today as the head of his own ce as the head of his own marketing firm he knew how to do it connecting with his millennial audience in the most millennial of ways instagram He there dropped the bombshell that he was, in addition to his divorce, renouncing his Christian faith. And this is what he said. My heart is full of gratitude. I wish you could see all the messages people sent me after the announcement of my divorce. They are expressions of love, though they are saddened or even strongly disapprove of my decision. I am learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week, I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelical, straight people, LGBTQ people, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, and queer people, and everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they are seeking to love me. There have also been spiteful, hateful comments that angered and hurt me. The information that, I was, that was left out of our announcement of their divorce, that is, is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measures that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice Uh, faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I am not there now. Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's beauty in that sentiment, regardless of your view of God. I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teachings of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few but I specifically want to add this to the list now. To the LGBTQ community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. To my Christian friends, I'm grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return your calls. I can't join you in your mourning of my decision. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well." In Christian theology, this is what is called apostasy. In marketing, however, it's called new product development. Harris's post, jarring as it was to those to whom he formerly preached, Lectured and mentored in the faith was a bit of social media magic, containing as it did a brilliant photo of Harris looking out of on one of uh, British Columbia's beautiful lakes in deep reflection, as though it were Walden Pond and he were Henry David Thoreau. What follows is this carefully edited essay, the one that I just read to you, that epitomizes the postmodern all-inclusive life that Harris has decided. To embrace. And it worked exactly as Harris hoped that it would. While Harris said that uh, many had condemned him, and many did so rightfully, the overwhelming public sentiment was to congratulate him and welcome him to the opposite side of the culture war. A theme in these social media congratulatory notes was to say that Harris was quote, brave, and that he was courageous. I think Harris is so brave, I respect it very much, wrote Sheila. A courageous stance posted a fellow named Galen. Bravo, it takes guts to admit you were wrong. This is, of course, sheer nonsense. I mean, is there anything that takes less courage than rejecting one of the tenets of the Christian faith, or all of them, in modern America? I should say not is it the, it is the surest path to public atro, uh, approbation and celebrity more troubling however are the many christians who likewise rushed to wish him well in his new life this is brave and painful and gracious and loving gracious and loving said one christian named mike lots of prayer for you brother peace To Josh Harris, declared Lauren, may his courage be a testament to us to be honest. Amen. How about you give Josh Harris some space and grace to figure out where he is? A woman named Dee chided a believer who had condemned his decision. Grace. There's that word being tossed about in a Christian context, but completely void of its Christian meaning. I can't tell you the number of times I've witnessed Christians, forgetting Paul's warning in Galatians 6, 1 through 3, to restore one another gently and to not think themselves something when they are nothing, self-righteously stomp the repentant sinner, but rush to offer grace to the apostate. I want to pause here and say a few things that are pertinent to this discussion, most notably that we are all, theologically speaking, fallen and sinful. Christians have no special immunity to sin. Sometimes being in the public eye, however modestly, brings with it a special kind of pressure as others watch for inconsistencies, flaws, looking to critique, perhaps hoping for failure, or the opposite, putting their hopes in their leaders, and thus pressure. Should you fall, some eagerly celebrate it, magnify it, and embellish it. I know this at a very personal level. I can well imagine the pressure Harris's book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, brought upon the 20-something Harris when the book was published in 1997, thrusting him, too soon, upon the stage as a Christian speaker, authority on courtship and marriage, and eventually as the pastor of a megachurch. Think of how closely his marriage was scrutinized by those within the church to say nothing of those outside of it. Any chinks in the marital armor became proof that he was wrong and that his recipe for a successful marriage was no more insulation against divorce than a Paladine recipe is against diabetes. One wonders if his marriage ever really had a chance. When failure comes for the Christian... He's faced with three choices. He can acknowledge the failure and repent of it. He can justify it. Or he can defect to the opposition. The Bible has examples of all three. King David and Peter in the first category. Saul and Jonah in the second. And Absalom and Judas in the third. These represent gradations of rebellion, of blessing and restoration, of punishment and damnation. The first category should be dog-eared in your Bibles to encourage you when things get rough because it speaks as much of the gracious character of God as it does of the men themselves. Hebrews 11, the so-called Christian Hall of Fame, contains similarly flawed people. Noah, a drunkard. Abraham, a liar. Jacob, a deceiver. Rahab, a prostitute. Samson, a fornicator, and others. The author of Hebrews was not unfamiliar with the seedier TMZ-like aspects of these Hall of Famers' lives. He is rather underscoring a truth that is at the core of Christianity. These people were greatly used by God because of their faith in God, not only in the midst of mighty deeds, but in the midst of their sin. They trusted God and ran to Him as they stood at the edge of their own self-made abysses. Hence the chapter's oft-repeated phrase, by faith. In the second category, I'm reminded of a prominent British Christian writer, speaker, and pastor, who some years ago brazenly acknowledged a homosexual relationship, left his wife and four children, and began using his considerable gifts to justify his chosen lifestyle. Come to think of it, I can recall too many similar stories. The third category is of special interest to us here. I've taken this sidebar in our discussion of Joshua Harris because it is important that Christians understand that it is in this, the third category, that he belongs. That is, those who defect to the other side. Had he taken to Instagram to announce, say, a personal failure that led to his divorce, I'd be the last to condemn him, not the least because his sin is not against me, and it is really none of my business in the first place. Sin of that nature is between him, his wife, and his God. Were he a friend in such a circumstance, I would simply want to remind him of what the first category demonstrates— It is summed up in the words of a Nigerian bishop who reached out to me in the midst of my own failure and said, God loves authoring redemption stories. I have shared the gospel with some of the most famous, or perhaps I should say infamous, unbelievers in the world. Men who ignorantly blaspheme God and of whom Jesus might rightly say they know not what they do. But that's not what's going on here with Joshua Harris. Harris knew very well what he was doing. He was raised in the faith and nurtured in it. He was a Christian, author, speaker, megachurch pastor. He knows his Bible as well as any of you. In the words of Romans 1, for although he knew God, he did not honor Him as God or give thanks to him, but he became futile in his thinking, and his foolish heart was darkened. Note that coupled with Harris's social media post, was a profession of repentance for his legalism, along with an apology to the LGBT community. quote. He said, my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. Now, this is noteworthy. On the one hand, Harris is apologizing for his legalism, and on the other, he is blaming the Christian faith for that legalism. That, it is implied, is why he is leaving the Christian faith. Jesus made him a judgmental person. He has finally seen the light, and that light is not found in Jesus Christ. Harris adds that he has received, quote, some strong words of rebuke from religious people. He states further that some have been, quote, spiteful and hateful. I'm sorry to hear this. I get it that Harris felt the sting of social media mafia and of the self righteous. King David speaks of being treated hatefully, too, on the heels of his sin with Bathsheba. Read Psalm chapter 38. It's painful. David, broken before the Lord because of his, quote, foolishness, cries out to God for protection, saying, quote, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest of kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all the day long. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Do not forsake me, O Lord. My, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. The problem, of course, is that while King David was sorry for his sin, as this psalm states, Harris is not. Were he so, he would, like David, have a scriptural claim to mercy, to understanding, to restoration from Christians. Instead, he's celebrating his rejection of Jesus Christ, something that many Christians regard as the only unforgivable sin, and he is rubbing it in the faces of those he formerly taught and mentored in the faith. He shouldn't be surprised that some of them decided to let him have it, did he really expect atheists were going to condemn, to condemn him for his rejection of the Christian faith? That the LGBT community was going to condemn him? Not a chance. Harris's path is not that of a searcher like Nicodemus or a doubter like Thomas. It is rather the path previously taken by the likes of Judas Iscariot. The story grieves me. To be clear, I'm not grieved by Harris's sin per se. It is rather his response to his sin. He is asking the LGBTQ community for forgiveness, not God. I am grieved that he should treat the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a trivial, worthless thing to be trampled underfoot. It is as if he came to the altar of God, lingered there for a bit, sold a few books, gave God the middle finger, and left in a contemptuous huff, blaming God for the legalism that is the product of his own heart. Can you imagine the many young people who will be disillusioned by this treasonous act? I can, and it grieves me. Had they seen him face his sin and repent of it, thus demonstrating not only the power of his own faith but of the gospel of self uh, itself my what god might do with that but he chose to defile the things of god like belshazzar at the feast in daniel chapter 5 the christian life is hard our lord called it a narrow road for a reason you'll get bumps and bruises Your marriages will hit the rocks. The kids will rebel from time to time. Your career won't always go as smoothly as you had hoped. You will disappoint people, and they will disappoint you. You will disappoint yourself, finding it much more difficult to live up to your own standard, much less God's. Doubts will creep in. You'll hurt those you love, and they will hurt you. And even when others do you no harm, you will feel that you are fighting uh, your own sinful inclinations and that it's it's a, a fruitless effort. This is the nature of the battle in which we are engaged. Under such pressure, if the Christian's faith is built upon strict adherence to a set of rules or a slick, instagrammable life rather than the grace of god and the work that he has already accomplished on the cross it will not endure harris has rejected a caricature of christianity turning it into a straw man a foil for his social media metamorphosis in such a life defection to the other side becomes a convenient marketing ploy to launch a new career And that's part of what has bothered me about Harris's Instagram post. It seems to be part of an ongoing strategy to rebrand the man to a new target audience. First, the apology for his books and lectures. Then a movie last year. Yes, there is a movie. About the consequences of his book on dating. Next, the announcement of his divorce. And finally, his mic drop moment the renunciation of his faith in Jesus Christ with a professionally taken photograph of him looking out upon the lake so thoughtfully in contemplation. None of this was spontaneous. It all feels like everything my generation and those before us suspect is wrong with the brave new world of social media, selfies, and the influencer culture. It's an electronic Potemkin village, where nothing is what it seems, and where even tender or vulnerable moments are, we too often discover, staged, rehearsed, and calculated to manipulating us into liking them. Remember, Harris is a marketer. His website stresses his ability as a storyteller to craft a message for the public and to develop a brand. And that's what this all seems to be about, the rebranding of the Christian megapastor Joshua Harris into someone that his progressive clientele will like. It's interesting to me that Harris says that he has learned that quote, "No group has cornered the market on grace." I, too, have learned that in the wreckage of my own failures, often the grace we expect from Christians is scarce. But that is only because they are sinners like we are whose default responses are not always in keeping with their professed beliefs. Regardless, Jesus Christ is the exclusive author of grace. And in walking away from him, where does Harris expect to find it? Instagram? The LGBT community? Among progressives? Democrats? Harris, it seems, has never understood grace. He has mistaken freedom in Jesus Christ with the shackles of legalism. But legalism, contrary to popular belief, has no place in Christianity. On the contrary, we have been set free from the law, according to Romans chapter 8. No, legalism is a condition of the human heart. Indeed, some of the most legalistic people I've ever met were not religious at all. They were adherents to secular ideologies. Have you ever encountered the recycling Nazis? The progressives who have no problem with the burning of American cities, but will militantly insist you wear a mask for your own good. Joshua Harris is a pastor defector who has simply exchanged one form of legalism for another. He's exchanged the truth of God for a lie. On a fateful night long ago, Peter and Judas each committed grave sins against the Lord Jesus. One denied him. The other betrayed him. The first out of cowardice, the second for personal gain. Both were devastated by the reality of their actions. Peter wept bitterly, according to Matthew 26, 75, and Judas was, quote, seized with remorse, according to Matthew 27, 3. Yet one of these men is remembered with reverence and as a hero of the faith, while the other has come to symbolize the accursed and the loathsome. What's the difference? In the aftermath of his sin, Peter put his faith in the Lord he had so recently denied. While Judas, believing his sin unpardonable, ironically committed the unpardonable sin. He rejected forgiveness and restoration in Christ and then, in a great anticlimax, he committed self-murder. As Christians, we would do well to remember this critical distinction. If our Lord could redeem a Manasseh, who sacrificed his son on the altar to false gods, Moses, who committed murder, and sinners like you and me. His grace is sufficient to redeem a Judas, and for that matter, a Joshua Harris. Ladies and gentlemen, as you sit here this Sunday morning, know this. Just as the freedom you enjoy in this remarkable country was purchased at the cost of precious blood, so it is with the freedom that Jesus Christ offers you through his grace. If you are a believer who has fallen into sin, Jesus' grace is sufficient for you. Remember, he enjoys authoring redemption stories. If you are an unbeliever, his grace is sufficient for you too. He today, now, offers you the gift of eternal life. I'm sure the pastors and leadership of this church would joyfully talk with you after this service or speak with you privately to share with you more about that message. But know ye this, the Lord God Almighty is not one with whom we are to trifle. All of us, everyone. Are moving irresistibly towards a meeting with him in eternity, and he has nothing but wrath for those who reject the grace he so freely offers. Recognizing my own limitations to adhere to rules, I can't even stop biting my fingernails. I cannot tell you how many years I have tried to stop biting my fingernails. If I can't do that, I certainly can't author my own salvation. (laughs) I'm with the Apostle Peter who said on another occasion, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Let us pray.
0: We hope you've enjoyed today's message.